I'm Chris Turner, and this is Tapestry's Empowered to Connect podcast. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Tapestries and Power Genetic Podcast. We're back from our break of vacation and getting ready for the start of the school year. But tonight we're coming to you with a, well, a pretty serious topic that's weighing on our minds, given the proximity of us to the event. And that's Hurricane Harvey and the devastation it has wrought on the Metroplex of Houston. Joining me, as always, are Ryan and Kayla North. Hi, guys. Hey, Chris. Hello, Chris. And we have a special guest joining us from Houston via Skype, Tony Steer. Hi, Tony. Hi, everybody. Tony has been caring for orphaned and vulnerable children for the past 17 years. She served for many years as a teacher, house parent, and social worker at a large orphanage in Central America. And during her time there, she adopted a baby boy who is now 16. As a mom of a child from a hard place, Tony understands both the immense joy and the unexpected challenges of the journey. She is a lead Empowered to Connect trainer, a TBRI educator, and a sexual abuse prevention instructor, among many other disciplines involving foster care, adoption, and trauma. So, Tony, we wanted to have you on because you're pretty much there at ground zero, where a lot of people have been displaced and are facing big interruptions to their, their normal everyday. And that includes kids who have been traumatized. So what can you kind of give us an overview of, of what you're seeing and hearing down there? Yeah, so things down here have been um, really difficult over the past few days and have really been developing. I'm not sure that any of us saw um, the gravity or the destruction coming. Mm. Um, and, you know, for many of our families who have welcomed children um, from hard places into their families are already struggling with tons of grief and loss. Mm -hmm. And the last three or four days have brought um, so much insecurity um, in our city, among our families, in our homes, just places that shouldn't have flooded, flooding. And um, it's just been very, very difficult. And we're hearing from families across the city who just in really tough spots, um, families who have lost everything, families who have received minimal damage but required enough um, time away for for the city to repair itself. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's just been an extreme interruption to our daily lives. And that's caused even more interruption to rituals and routines. And you know, we talk a lot about transitions and those seem virtually impossible in a paralyzed city. Mm. And one thing you, we, we kind of talked a little bit before we started recording, one of the things that you kind of brought up, which took me by surprise, something I hadn't just hadn't thought about was how the delayed, the, the, excuse me, how the delaying of the start of school is having an effect on, on some of our kids because, you know, a lot of the younger ones, they really enjoy school and they, they love going to see their friends and stuff. And, you know, that's got to have a negative impact on those kids because they're kind of looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. So guys, uh, Tony had some questions that she sent to us earlier today that she's hoping that we can help her out with to help the families that she's serving down there. And so let's start with this one. Um, what can they do from literally the middle of the storm to help kids process through the trauma, not just the things they've already suffered through, but 
this new trauma that's come as a result of the storm? Well, um, we know that um, new traumatic events trigger memories of past traumas. Right. And so part of the problem when you experience something like this, and and, and I think before we go any further, um, we do have to kind of come clean and say we're not experts on natural disasters. Right. Um, but we do, but we do know a little bit something about relationships and healing relationships. And even in the hardest of times, um, even when you find yourself going through tremendous tragedy, um, the human, the human being's capacity for being able to to tolerate bad things is certainly amplified by being tolerate tolerating bad things together. Right. Right. It's like when I'm, if I'm nervous, I'll hold my wife's hand and I won't feel nervous anymore. Mm. Now, Kayla's an amazing woman, but <laughs> holding her hand during turbulence on an airplane doesn't doesn't change the reality of what I'm experiencing. But I'm experiencing, but I'm able to go to to deal with it better because we, we're in it together. Mm-hmm. And and I think that um, even in times of extreme trauma and extreme frustration, and I and I can't imagine what it's like being stuck in the house or living in a shelter or, or any of those kinds of things because because I've mercifully never had to do those things. But I know that if we can find some way to stay connected and to let our kids know that, that we're in this together, mm. I think that's a great starting point um, for any kind of any kind of processing of what, what, what has to happen um, for you to get through this kind of stuff. Yeah, I was going to say something similar as far as connection goes, I think just finding those moments of connection in all of this and, and letting our kids talk about how they're feeling and, and letting them hear how the, letting them hear that their parents have fears too, Mm. but not letting that be the primary focus, you know? But I think that if the kids see that the parents are freaking out, then it makes them freak out. But if they say, you know what? I get scared too, and they're able to kind of talk through the feelings. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think, Tony? What do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think our kids need to see us experience healthy emotions. Mm. Um, I think that's that's even reassuring to them that mom or dad also feel scared about the waters that are um, getting closer and closer to our house. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, providing a sense of safety. Hey, buddy, we're in this together, mm. and yeah. um, I'm not leaving you. You're not leaving me, and we're going to get through this together. We're modeling what a good response to that fear can be. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. it's interesting um, when we're talking about modeling for our children what a response would be and modeling how to process stuff. Um, Several of our children over the years have have gone through um, seen a play therapist to help them process some stuff from from early on, and um, generally Kayla um, takes them to the appointment because it's in the middle of the week, in the middle of the day. I mean, it's like it's like noon on Wednesday, the exact like middle point of the week, right? <laughs> um, but but she was she was ill or had something else, um, and I took them a few months ago. And so part of, part of that process is you have a little bit of a conversation with the therapist about what they worked on and, and you know, not, be, not betraying your child's trust, but at least letting you know what they worked on. Right. And um, our daughter, um, who is now nine, was seeing her at the time. And she said to me, and, and I remember being shocked by the question, the therapist said to me, has your daughter ever seen you cry? And I said, 
well, no, I don't imagine. So why, why, why would you ask me that? <laughs> and she said, because part of helping your daughter learning to process her own emotions is watching her parents do it. Mm. Has she seen Kayla cry? Yes. Because I cry about everything. <laughs> um, so that's why I said answered so quickly. No, does she? But 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 she's she's a lot more um, open about her emotions because I grew up in a boys don't cry environment, mm. and so and and so that's hard to you know I, I think I'm better about about doing that sort of thing in front of people now than I, than I used to. I, I don't think I ever cried in front of anybody before I turned forty. Mm. Um, but she said that part part of part of my daughter's healing and coming to terms with her emotions. And processing her emotions and learning how to process them health in a healthy way was for her to see her dad cry and go, "Oh, if my dad can cry about stuff, it's okay. For then me. it's yeah. okay. It's like watching watching their parent deal with difficult things. It not only models it for them, but it also gives them permission to do it as well. Mm -hmm. Because we can do amazing things when somebody says it's okay for you to do that. Mm -hmm. I think some, something Tony said about." Um that's that felt safety, right? I can mm. imagine in this situation where like, how are we providing felt safety in this situation? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it just, it's a situation where nobody feels safe. Mm. Everybody's scared, everybody. And so it amplifies that need for felt safety. And I think maybe we could talk through some of the things that are, um, that we can do to provide the felt safety. I think giving our kids a voice in, being able to say, I'm scared. Mm. I don't know when we're going to get, you know, we don't have any bread and I heard there's no bread in any of the stores, you know, or, um, we can't get out of our neighborhood or, you know, so my friend's house is completely underwater. I mean, they're, they're hearing all these stories and they're seeing all the devastation around them. And so giving them a voice and a way to kind of talk through what's going on mm -hmm. and how that is. Um, but there's so many other ways we can give, a sense of felt safety um, amidst something chaotic. One one thing that came to mind for me was um, just trying to find a routine amidst the crazy, mm. right? Like there's so much that's not routine anymore, right? There's parents that aren't going to work because their offices are closed or they don't have a job to go to right now. You know, there's teachers that are, were supposed to start school and now they're not starting school and there's, um, you know, obviously the kids that are supposed to start school and they're not. And right. so all the routines. So in the midst of all of that, trying to find some sort of a semblance of routine and normalcy. Building a new routine. Yeah. I mean, yeah. everybody gets up and we all eat together and everybody has lunch together. And we, you know, whatever kind of routine you can sort of get. Maybe we spend this amount of time doing this activity together. Um, but any kind of routine that can be put in place to make the crazy seem not so crazy. I think one routine that a lot of parents might want to find a way to incorporate, you know, a lot of our families are stuck in a shelter or stuck in their own homes and kids get a little stir crazy after a while. And so how can we burn off a little excess energy? So, Hey, everyone's not flipping out before we get to that. I, okay. I just want to add something to Kayla said, cause you guys said how we have to establish new routines. Mm. And I think what, what's important to remember is that a hurricane is a traumatic event, yeah. right? I mean, we can't we, long after the new trucks roll out of Houston and all the water has subsided. The people of Houston will be dealing with the 
physical aftermath of this for a long, long time. I mean, it's huge portions of an enormous city mm. need to be rebuilt. But as we all know, the emotional trauma will will be years down the road. Mm-hmm. And and I think that, you know, we're going to have to, we, all of us, but specifically parents in Houston, are going to have to think about how, how to have to understand what the new normal is mm-hmm. and start building routines in that new normal because... Hey, you know, there are blue skies in Houston today, but but I don't know when some of those elementary schools are going to be open again, right? It could be weeks. It could be months. And so if that routine is grounding for the child, which we know it is for a lot of our kids, mm-hmm. how, how do you figure that out for the next 60 days or, or whatever the case may, may be? So, yeah, I mean, I think we just kind of have to think in terms of, you know, reality has changed for us. And it's going to be a long time before we can get back to the reality we know. And it may be years down the road before our kids are okay with us. I mean, think about the, the kids who uh, come from come from uh, lack of food. Well, yeah, I mean, I can't even comprehend how stressful that must be a, for the child who comes from, grew up thinking, well, when will food be available? Who is now going, oh, I heard on the news that there's no bread or milk in Houston. Um, and then being the parent who's parenting the child because all of us have kids who have some type of food issue and we know how difficult that can be and I can solve that food issue by going to the grocery store at, mm. at the end of our neighborhood. Right. That's not an option for people down there and so I, I'm not trying to, to be Debbie Downer here but, but the reality of it is is we're going to have to, um, if we're going to say anything that's of any use to people tonight, it's going to have to be some small practical things, which is where you're going next, Chris. Mm. Some some little 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 pieces of hope that you can cling on to, because there is a reality that ha- that is different in Houston now than it was a week ago, and people are going to have to kind of live in that reality um, for probably longer than they I know longer than they want to, but maybe even longer than they think. Yeah, I think one thing that just kind of <laughs> occurred to me as you were talking about the food issues, you know, this might be a thing where parents just have to to tell their kids, especially uh, again, this is going to be something that's relative to their age and understanding, but it might be one of those things where you just have to say, you know, bunny, I I don't know when we're going to get bread next, but you know, there are people who are, you know, providing food to people that have, you know, lost things like, like us. And I'm going to do, you know, I'm, I'm dad or I'm mom. I'm going to take care of that. That's not something that you need to worry about. You let mom or dad worry about that. And try to, you know, well, you know, be the parent and take that leadership role that we're expected to have in our families and do as much as we can to ease that anxiety. Well, you know, um, Bessel van der Kolk in, in, in the book, The Body Keeps the Score, talks about that very thing in terms, and he's, and he's specifically talking about uh, children who were in an environment where their sibling was a victim of abuse mm. and saying that there is just an amazing uh, stability and healing that comes from a caring, competent adult looking that kid in the eye and saying, that's not your responsibility. Right. You don't have to take ownership of that. And they talk about the amazing results that have happened. Uh, and we've seen that here at home. You know, after I read that, I kind of addressed some stuff with one of our kiddos and said, you know, but you were four. You mm. couldn't have done anything. Right. And, and to see, and I didn't tell Kayla that I did it. And I said to her two weeks later, hey, do you think his behavior is a little different? She said, yeah, he seems a little less edgy. Mm. 
And I said, no, I told her what we talked about. And I think that can't be a one-time transaction. I think that has to be something that you're affirming every day. Yes, right. we don't, there's no bread today, but, but we got this, we're going to solve this problem. And, um, you know, it's, it's an opportunity. You have to solve the problem somehow because it is right. an opportunity to establish trust. I had a conversation with my 16-year-old as we were walking out of church this afternoon, and I said, um, you know, what? what is one of the things that was most helpful for you throughout the last four days? And he said, I don't know, that's a really big question. And he said, I don't know, I guess I just felt safe because you were present mm. with me. And I think there's um, just something really practical about saying, well, I don't, I don't have a lot of tools at my hand. I, I would love to provide for my child's sensory needs and, and what they need as far as food goes, and I would love to provide routine. But some of those things are just out of my hands. But the one thing that we can provide is presence, yeah. just being present in the moment, feeling those big feelings with our kids, validating them in that eye, good eye contact. And for a lot of our families, you know, um, many of them spent the day in a car with their children, a borrowed car mm. with their children going from apartment to apartment looking for housing. And that can be very um, difficult on mom and dad. It can be really difficult with the kiddos. But something that we can all do in the midst of having to do those things and secure appropriate housing is just taking 15 minutes before it all happens and after it all ends to just sit and be present with our children. Yeah. And that doesn't require any tools, just great connections. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think it could be really easy in the, in these hard times to just check out as parents and just kind of zone out after a hard day of, like you said, looking for an apartment and going from one place to the next, realizing there's no place to go mm-hmm. or, um, trying to f- make a plan for your family and you just, you're just done and you just want to check out. But just, mm-hmm. I think taking those like 15 minutes, we can all spend an, we can all hang in there for 15 more minutes and mm-hmm. just give our kids that attention that they need. Turn off the news, turn off the phones, just kind of focus on them. I think that's really good. And that's a good point, Kelly. You know, sometimes I think as parents, we're not even aware like especially in a, a very stressful situation like this, where as a parent, I, I need information, right? Yeah. And so I might be checking the news more frequently. more frequently. And maybe, you know, you want to share this news with your spouse or other family members who might be with you or friends who are with you. And we may not be thinking that maybe I should not be reading this thing out loud in front of the kids because we yeah. don't know how much more anxiety that's going to cause them. And so that's, those things I think we need to be mindful of is that, you know, sometimes we just need to stay quiet and then share that stuff when the kids are not around or asleep or something like that. Uh, you know, I think another thing though is um, one of the ways, and, and, and sometimes, yeah, I agree with you that Kayla just can be overwhelming and you can check out. But one of the things I think is, um, you know, is if we make this list of things that we need to be done, right? We need to find somebody to live. We need to find food. We need to find gas, all that kind of stuff. And and we think, okay, well, that's certainly, and nobody can argue that that's the greater good, right? Finding some place for your family to live is a, is a high priority issue. Mm-hmm. 
and so we get and I know sometimes I, I do the well what I feel like I'm a good prioritizer and maybe I am maybe I'm not but once I prioritize stuff I kind of go after the priority and go well well now we're chasing the the greater good maybe spending 10 minutes with the kiddos is not that important mm. because we're trying to find and we don't have 10 minutes to spend with the kiddos and I think yeah. the, the reality that the return on the on investment of those 10 minutes is enormous because what you, what we're doing now is we're helping people walk through something really, really difficult. Because like Tony said, her son said, hey, the greatest source of comfort here the last four days is that you were with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do not be afraid because I'm with you. Right. Right. Repeated over and over again. It's not, it's not don't, be, don't be afraid, be brave. That's dismissive. It's don't be afraid because I'm with you. Mm-hmm. And so maybe, you know, because we are results driven people and we just need to check check the stuff not check the stuff off the list that's unfair it mm. is uh, it, obviously you need shelter uh, but that you know those 5 10 15 minutes or whatever just to pause and be in that moment with your children will help their behaviors mm. regulate better and on top of that will have a long term effect of them being able to process this trauma in, in a better way than they might have and when you've got a situation like this where your family's been displaced and there is no, the normal routines aren't there anymore. We're going to see hard behaviors from our kids that sometimes we might not have seen in a long time. And so in this kind of situation, how much do we worry about correcting? How much do we worry about connecting? And, you know, where, where do we go when these really big behaviors rise up again? You know, and and I was just thinking while we were were talking, um, well, well, I've never, I've never been displaced because of a natural disaster. When I was 18 years old, my family m- moved countries. And in the process of moving the countries, um, when we got here, there was a little bit of a of, of sort of a delay in, in some of the, the immigration documents. You know, the entry stuff becoming work stuff was, mm. was more delayed than my parents were led to believe. And so we ended up uh, for for a period of months um, sleeping on couches, sleeping on floors in people's houses, um, and and you know we we lived a pretty cushy life in my childhood, mm. um, and so this is a real shock for me. Mm. I just remember reeling from it for for a long time. And uh, you were eighteen at the time. I was time. eighteen yeah, at the time. So. Yeah, and so. And so there was no security, there was no permanence. Um, you know, I've slept on couches between West Texas, North Texas, Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know, all over the place in the, in the span of that time. And then coming down to Dallas and, and moving from a rather large house when, you know, a nice lifestyle to, you know, sleeping on the fold out couch in the living room of the, the lousy little two bedroom apartment we lived in for six months. Mm. And I, and I really just felt like at the time, my world could not have been any worse. Mm. I just, re- just remember just really struggling with that and just being miserable. Um, so uh, so that's sort of my connection to being di- displaced, mm-hmm. even though yeah. there was a choice my family made and not just because of a natural disaster. But I, w- but I will tell you the 20 years after that event, I look back on it more fondly than I did when I was through it mm. because it changed my, how I saw the world. Mm. Um, it made me have a, put a lot less value in material things. Uh, it made me realize that I was a spoiled brat most of my childhood. 
Um, and, and it was, it was humbling. It is, it is hard, uh, when you live a cushy lifestyle to be sleeping on some, uh, fold out couch that somebody gave you at the church, mm-hmm. you know, everything, you everything's relative, right? A lot yeah, of people might gone. Yeah. yeah. Cause everything was gone. Everything I knew was gone. All the people I knew were, were gone. The life we lived was just gone. And I tell you what, it took me just year, years and years and years to not be angry about that. Something that you, you said there about how it changed your, your outlook and your, your worldview and things. It reminded me, I read something earlier today. It was a, an article in USA Today that Ed Stetzer had, had written, and he quotes Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, for those of us who grew up with PBS and Mr. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He was asked one time about um, comforting children in the face of a disaster. Mm. Like, what, 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 is, what is something you could tell them to help them out? And his response was, look for the helpers. Look for the people who are helping those who have been displaced. And I think for our kids, you know, you're there as mom or dad and you're providing your presence, but they may still have anxiety and fear about the situation. And what he was kind of saying was, you know, point out to them, look at these people who are helping other people. Look at these people who are helping us. You know, we're not alone, you know, we're in this together as a family, but you know, there are also other people in this with us. Mm. And that's a, a way that we can maybe help give them more of a sense of felt safety. Well, because part of the positive, the positive here is we're trying to establish trust relationships with the kids. Mm-hmm. And, and while yeah, things are scary because to be honest, it's just scary. It's flat out scary yeah. when you realize that everything's gone. Mm. It's scary as an adult. Yeah. It's flat out scary. But, but here, but think about, you know, we could talk about the negatives all night, but think mm-hmm. about the potential positives there when your children see, oh my gosh, I'm wigging out, but mom and dad are there. Mom mm-hmm. and dad are taking care of it. Mom and dad found a way to do this. Mom and dad found a way around this. Oh, look, we have somewhere to live now because mm-hmm. mom and dad took of that. And so, you know, there, there are always, there are always, in my opinion, upsides to bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, there just may not be as obvious when, when you're in the middle of the bad thing and, and, and people in, in Houston and in South Texas are in the middle of the bad thing, mm. right? We tend to think that when it's raining, when the rain's done, the bad thing's over. Well, that's that on some level, the worst of it or the most terrifying part of, it, I don't know, maybe it's not the most terrifying part of it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's when the water subsides and you realize that you have nothing to go back to. That's the most terrifying part of it. Mm. Um, but even in the midst of tragedy, good things can come. And one question that Tony had kind of in that vein was, um, she was told, you know, our family is, is just fine, quote unquote, just fine. And we're serving our community as a family, but our kids are seeing the devastation of our city up close and personal. What are some ways we can help them process with the things that they're seeing? I, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of talking about things. Mm. Um, that's why... Um, while there might be mixed reviews on therapists, depending who you speak to, <laughs> uh, we're big fans of it at our house because there is there is some there is some healing power in talking about things, and there is some healing power in getting those things that are in your that are troubling you in your mind out of your mouth, mm. right? I mean, in in that, I mean, the soul. Kurt Thompson wants you to handwrite mm. your autobiography in. Um, uh, you know, Donald Miller has that storyline 
curriculum. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did it with a small group years ago. And one of the things they ask you to do is to handwrite the timeline of your life. Mm. Because there is something healing about getting that which trapped in your mind out. Mm. You know, we have a friend of ours, uh, Heather Jane Link, um, who, who said, you know, one of the things they do with the kiddos when they're really struggling is they ask the kids to write out what they're mad about. Mm. And, and there's just something great about that. So maybe asking the kids to like at the end of the day, just, just make a journal entry mm. about what you saw. Maybe in the moment, just talking about it. You know, my daughter will say, daddy, I'm scared. And before I knew better, I would say there's nothing to be scared of. But now I'm like, well, why are you scared, baby? Yeah. What, 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 why? What's troubling you? Why is always a great question. Yeah. And, and we found like we, we've just had a lot of success with some of her anxieties when we've just said, do you want to tell me about it? And so that's, that's kind of where I would start um, is just kind of trying to help your kids process that and, and let them know it's okay. Because one of, the mis one of the things we do with children that I don't like is we, is we, tell, is we deny them their feelings, mm -hmm. right? A baby cries, what do you tell the baby? Shh, don't cry. Mm -hmm. A child's hurt, what do you tell them? Don't cry. You're okay. <laughs> You're okay. If you stop crying, I will help you. All of these things are things that people say to them. And, and what we don't understand is the compounding effect of all of that is we've told our children it's not okay to have feelings and it's certainly not okay to share them. Mm -hmm. And we have to reverse that because it is okay to have feelings and it certainly is okay to share them because it is, it, there's a catharsis in that. Right. It, there, there's power in that. Um, and then the big feeling is lessened the next time around because they know it's okay to express it and talk Siegel, about it. Siegel and Bryson say name and detain it. Mm -hmm. right, that's their catchphrase from, uh, from the whole brainchild. I think, um, too, we have to ask our kids questions because some of our kids aren't going to come to us and say, man, it was really scary when mm -hmm. I saw all that devastation, when we drove downtown and I saw those buildings and things like that. So I think we not only do we need to listen to them when they talk to us, but we need to ask them questions of what did you think when that's you saw it. that? What did you, um, how did that make you feel? So when we think about talking about it with our kids, um, Jane Schooler told a story one time about being in an airport and it coming time to board and she got up and she and her husband boarded the plane and didn't think a thing about it and got in the air and she realized um, that her purse had been hanging, you know, on the back of the, oh, no. on the back of the chair and, um, someone had indeed taken it and that's why she didn't see it there. And, and so her purse was stolen and she began to process and realized that, you know, every time she went to pull a credit card out of her wallet and realized it wasn't there, she would have to relive the entire situation with the grocer and the bread maker and the rental car guy mm. and the banker. And, you know, about, you know, 38 times into the story, David said, Jane, how, how many times are you going to need to tell that story? And she said, well, I guess until it's healed in my brain, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> and I think it's something that we really need to think about is for our kids, if we can um, ask them open questions like, you know, do you remember getting in the boat? Mm. What was that like for you? Tell me about that. Was it and just fun? Let was them, it scary? Yeah. Just mm. let them go with it. Um, and maybe just give a little bit of feeders. And then what happened after that? Do you remember? And how did that feel? And giving them those kinds of opportunities, maybe in those 15 minutes that we talked about earlier, once a day, 
eventually our kids, even those who really struggle with words, will begin to tell that story fluidly. Mm. And the more that they tell it, the more opportunities they have to not be fearful mm. um, and to, uh, to begin to heal in that trauma that they experienced and that the, all of those insecurities that came with that. So Tony, to kind of bring this back around to where we started, you know, we noted before that there's this tendency to be dismissive in our parenting in a stressful situation such as this. And it's relatively easy sometimes to maybe overlook uh, the situations our kids are going through in the moment. Like, yeah, they seem like they were having a lot of fun riding in the boat down the middle of their street, which is not something that would normally happen. Right. But what's that going to look like later on when that's not really a happy memory anymore? What are some of the ways that we can help our kids with that and be mindful as parents to not be dismissive in the moment? So no one can deny that there have been incredibly um, adventurous moments with Hurricane Harvey mm. and riding in a boat down the middle of our street is adventurous mm. um, in, in, in some ways for our kiddos. But long term, that adventurous moment is going to lead to even more grief and loss. Mm. And we yeah. began the podcast talking about kiddos who come from hard places and who are struggling to heal um, before a catastrophic event like Hurricane Harvey. And so as we come back to this, we just have to remember to give our kids permission to grieve, mm. um, to give ourselves permission to grieve. The more that we grieve uh, both privately and um, with our families in, in healthy ways, the more opportunities that they're going to have to really process what they felt, the memories that it created, even some of the, the body sensations maybe as um, Dan Siegel talks about um, in the whole brain child that they, that they experienced during those moments. Um, we have to remember trauma registers as trauma, even if it's life-saving trauma. Mm -hmm. And yeah. our kids are going to have a lot of insecurities in the coming days. And there's just not a lot of resources for us that we would normally have our hands around. And so we just want to make sure to continue to utilize the best resource we have, and that is our presence. Mm -hmm. yeah. Those 15-minute conversations, um, those opportunities that we have to model good grief. Um, and... Um, and, and just to remember that grief is a bully mm. and it comes out in all kinds of big emotions and big behavior. And um, obviously we, we need to address big behavior, but we also need to address it in the context of compassion and comfort. And so um, I think that's really what we're hoping to give our families tonight is an opportunity to just know hey, your presence is your best and biggest tool for the days and months ahead. That's really insightful, though, that grief is a bully. Mm. Grief it does. Bully. It is. It pushes you around. But I think it sneaks up on you, right? Mm. Like, I think mm. I think that it's is a, it's a good metaphor because I think for some of our kids who right now they're thinking this is fun and adventurous, like you said, there's going to be a moment when it's no longer fun and adventurous. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a moment, and it may be weeks, it may be days, it may be months before that happens. Mm. Um, but at some point, it may be the next time there's a really bad storm and that grief just all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I don't want to go through that again, you know, because I mean, we're not at a hurricane season. We're not 
and it's going to come every year. We have hurricane season, you mm-hmm. know. And so it may be that this is a time of year that gets a little more difficult for our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about, you know, traumaversaries um, with our kids that are from hard places. We now have a city full of kids from a hard place. Um, and that's on top of some trauma that a lot of our kids already had. Mm-hmm. And so we've now got another another time period that is going to um it's probably going to bring up some memories for years to come and that grief is going to hit them in the most unexpected times i think yeah well just think just think how our kids with trauma histories and now and now people who don't have significant trauma in their past how when it rains near the end of august in houston they're gonna you'll feel that in your body and go mm-hmm. oh my gosh i remember the last time it rained in August in Houston or mm. it rained in August in Houston five years ago. Yeah, there's just so many things that are running through my mind right now that you know, we just have to remember incredible triggers that we're just not going to be able to predict them all. But just even the importance of transitions and thinking about the rain that's coming on Monday. Mm. It's so important to maybe not let our kids get sucked into the news and the TV and the forecast, but just to be able to say, hey, you know, the clouds may come on Monday and Water may come down, but we're going to be okay, and we are not going to flood this time. We we are going to be okay, and just giving them those opportunities to kind of know what's coming up ahead. It may rain next week, but it's going to be okay. Um, today we're going to look at houses. We don't know how long we're going to be out there, but we're going to make it an adventure. Doing the best that we can do within flexible transitions is going to be really helpful for our kids in the coming days. So, Tony, uh, for our listeners who are down in the Houston area and are being affected uh, by Harvey, what are some of the things that First Baptist is doing there to help folks in need? So, yeah, Houston's First is um, centrally located, and we are working um, intentionally to love our city well through um, the wake of Hurricane Harvey. We're doing that through our Love First Disaster Relief And we are just so excited to have the North American Mission Board working alongside us. Um, And our church will be on the ground partnered with the North American Mission Board over the weeks and months to come as um, the rebuilding occurs in our city. We have a couple of ways that people can be involved with that. Um, the fir- first and foremost, we want people to know um, that if they've been displaced or affected directly by Hurricane Harvey, we we want to help them. Um, and so we have a, a super easy form to fill out um, that gives us all the important information so that we can deploy teams um, into those areas to love not just them, but, but, but their neighborhood well. Um, obviously, financial donations are um, incredibly important in that to be able to do that well across the city. Um, supplying donations, physical donations. We've had three different centers open all week long and have been um, dispersing just the necessary, especially right now, cleaning supplies for people to get in and begin Mm -hmm. um, those initial cleanup stages. Um, And then over the days and weeks to come, we're obviously going to need a lot of volunteers, both local volunteers um, and teams coming into the city to help us to do this rebuilding. And all of this information can be found at houstonsfirst.org. Um, backslash love first. And so, yeah. Thanks, Tony. And Ryan, I know our church is doing many things to help people who have been displaced by Harvey 
here in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Can you share a few of those things for people who might be local who want to help out? Yeah, Chris. So um, the city of Irving um, has um, asked us to be a receiving intake center for evacuees coming in to the city that don't have any housing, food, or resources. So starting this this weekend at Irving Bible Church, um, we're going to have families coming in there. We're going to try to help them set up some temporary housing, food, resources, maybe some next steps. Um, you know, when Katrina happened 12 years ago, uh, the church did some similar efforts and a lot of people just en- ended up staying up here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Mm-hmm. So it's not just we, that we're temporary, temporarily helping people. It's that for a lot of these folks, we are helping them resettle up here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So there's a lot of stuff going on uh, at Irving Bible Church starting probably tomorrow, uh, but I know definitely on Saturday. If you want more information about that, you can just go uh, to irvingbible.org slash relief. Um, there's a way to give financially there. There's a way to sign up for updates for what the church is doing. Uh, one of the cool things there uh, is um, you can download something that they call um, meal, IBC meal packs. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in this document, they have um, outlined you know, just what you needed to bring, and it covers two meals for four people, and it's you know, peanut butter and tuna and stuff like that. Uh, so it's stuff that we can all have pretty easy access to. So if you really want to just provide meals um, for for people, you can go to the store, um, buy these things on the checklist. And again, you can find that all in irvingbible.org slash relief. And of course, um, volunteer help. If you want to go down to Irving Bible and say, hey, I'll, I'll help somebody walk through you know, assign me to somebody, I can help them find temporary housing yeah. and stuff like that because we do need the manpower, not just the money and the food. Yeah, they, uh, they're looking for advocates to walk alongside these families to yep. help them in you know, getting all these needs met. Yep. So um, just a lot of people in town are familiar with the tubes there during Bible Church, the, the, play, the play area. Just go up to the receptionist uh, just outside there and um, they'll be able to kind of direct you to the right people. Well, we hope what we've discussed this evening will be a help for parents with kids from a hard place. And as someone said earlier, now the entire city of Houston is full of kids from a hard place as a result of Hurricane Harvey. I'd like to thank Ryan and Kayla for being on the podcast tonight. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be back with you. And Tony for joining us from Houston. It was so awesome to be with you guys tonight. And as always, we'll have uh, extensive show notes in this case for everyone who's looking to connect with uh, Houston's First Baptist or with Irving Bible Church in the show notes. If you have a question for us and you can fit it into 140 characters, you can always tweet it to us at tapestryibc. If you need a little bit more room than Twitter allows, you can always email us at tapestry at irvingbible.org. You can also leave us a message on Facebook at tapestryibc. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or the Google Play Store. Just search for Tapestry Adoption Podcast. If you've enjoyed and gotten value from the podcast, we would appreciate a review in either location. Empower to Connect is the training and support community of Tapestry, the adoption and foster care ministry of Irving Bible Church in Irving, Texas. You can check the show notes for relevant links from this episode and find more resources on our website, empoweredtoconnect.org. Thanks for listening.